Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Good morning, everyone. I'm Tom Butler. I'm one of the pastors here, and I absolutely love hearing God's Word read aloud in public. Um, I don't know about you, but I really, really enjoyed last week when Parker read the book of Philippians. Um, Just to be in public with God's people, hearing God's word read. Uh, After that service, I said, you know, most church services that we go to, uh, we would get more out if the preacher would be quiet and read God's word, because God's word is where the power to salvation is at. And so, I hope we never get to the point where the public reading of God's word just becomes an element of the service that we do. But I hope that we do look forward to that and appreciate that and, um, and just praise God for his word because where would we be without it? Like Parker said, we're starting our Advent series this morning and this morning we're gonna start talking about hope. <clears throat> The other topics we're going to look at are love, peace, and joy. So the question is, Advent, what is Advent? Maybe most of you know what Advent is because it was part of your faith tradition growing up. It's possible there may be some in here that have have never done anything with Advent before. Uh, Advent is is simply a a word uh, from the Latin Adventus that means coming or arrival. You know, for most of us, this year... Uh, brought us to the advent of a new season in our church life. Uh, For my family, in October, we were on the advent of a new season of family life as uh, my first grandchild was born. And uh, so it's, it's a time of arrival, it's a time of expectation, it's a time of looking forward. And every year, uh, we as a church take some time to set aside, to celebrate both Jesus coming as Savior, and that, that's the majority of the focus, it seems, that we focus on for Christmas, but we miss the whole message if we don't also look forward to the coming, the second coming of Jesus, because that is, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story, and that is, that is such a significant part for us as the second coming of Jesus. So, we have a little graphic here. I say little, it's, it's, it's very elaborate. That It's going to help us to sort of see the big picture before we jump into hope. Um, so the first slide represents God out there by himself. God has existed in all eternity, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, and perfect love, and perfect unity, and perfect power, and everything. And the overflow of that was his creative work of creating the earth and man and everything that is. And that's why we see the two circles here. We see uh, heaven and earth. We see God and man. We see the two. This is the way God intended it to be in the beginning, right? In the beginning of Genesis, you read and you see that Adam and Eve were walking in the garden and they were able to talk with God and everything was perfect and that's the way that God wanted it to be. And then came the fall. And what happened at the fall 
is a separation. And that is in Genesis 3, chapter, chapter 3 and verse 15. It says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between her offspring, but between her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now, this is God talking to the serpent. So at this point, the serpent had already deceived Eve. They had fallen, and now here are the consequences. Now God's perfect plan in the beginning was perverted, and now there is separation between man and God because of sin. Now, it's interesting if you go over to the next chapter, in chapter 4, Eve heard that declaration that there would be enmity between her seed and the, and the serpent, and that her seed would uh, crush his head and he would strike his heel. And so now we see in verse 1 of chapter 4, the man was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to, to Cain. She said, I have a male child with the Lord's help. It's interesting to note that a lot of people believe that Eve at that point thought this was the fulfillment of what was said. This is the, my seed, this is the offspring that is going to crush the serpent and deal with the problem, and we're going to be reunited with God. And that the waiting was over, but it wasn't over. That wasn't the Savior. And there was a much more waiting to come until Jesus. And Jesus came, and this is what we celebrate at Christmas, the incarnation, God with us, coming to be with us to provide for us a way of salvation so that the sin problem that we had that separated us from God could be atoned for in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. And Jesus offers to us his righteousness that is the only thing that can reconcile us back to God. And so we get very excited about that and we're thankful because now we have hope because we have the saving relationship with Jesus. We know that when we, we die, we're going to go to be with God. And yet this isn't the end of the story. Just like from Eve all the way to Mary, there was waiting for the Messiah. Now we have the Messiah, but they're still waiting because this isn't the end of the story. And the waiting doesn't end until he comes back, until Jesus comes back for us, because that's when we get to be fully and really and genuinely reunited with God in the way that he intended. You know, sometimes I think we have a little bit of a short vision of that. We think, I'm going to die and go be with God, or I'm excited that Jesus is going to come back. Well, what's he going to come back for? Is he going to come back for dinner? Is he coming back to hang out? Is he gonna... And we, we stop and don't think beyond what, what does that really mean? And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit this morning as we're talking about hope. Because as we look at the totality of the picture, hope takes on a much richer and deeper meaning for us. So uh, what is biblical hope? That's the first thing that we want to understand this morning. What is biblical hope? Well, I would encourage you to run out to the Bible Project. They've got a little video. You've probably seen their videos. They've got one hope that is really good. Um, and I looked at that 
there are two Hebrew, main Hebrew words that deal with weight. And in that video, you see, there's a lot of waiting in the Old Testament. Those folks were waiting all the time and for a long time. And when I mean long time, I mean generations of waiting. They did a lot of waiting. One of the words you call is to just wait, just wait for something. You know, like you're sitting on a bus bench waiting for the bus. You're just waiting. The other word is kava, and that has a feeling of an expectation. Um, the illustration they use in the little video is like a, a rope that's being pulled, and it's getting tighter, and it's getting tighter, and you know if it keeps getting pulled, eventually it's going to snap and release. That's, that's the kava, the expectation. Now, in the New Testament, there's a word that's used in, in, uh, in the New Testament is elpis, and that's Greek for eager anticipation based on a confidence in the object of our hope. That's a lot of words, right? It's eager expectation. It has more than just waiting. It's an eager expectation. And that's what we should be about is the eager expectation. Now, when we talk about hope, hope requires an object, right? Has anybody ever climbed a tree? Wow, you guys got to get out more. When you climb a tree and you go out on the branch, you have hope that that branch is going to hold your weight and not snap and you fall however far to the ground, right? You've probably driven by these frozen bodies of water and you see these people out there with these little huts fishing and their pickup is sitting right next to them, right? I'm thinking, how bad must your life be that you have to go sit on the... Anyway. But they had to have hope that that ice was thick enough to hold them up and their truck and get them out there. So the object of their hope was the ice. So you can see immediately that the validity of your hope is directly tied to the object of your hope. Is the object of your hope worthy of your hope? The object of our hope is God and his plan as we see the, the, the full scope of what God has, that is our hope, is that not only did Jesus come to provide salvation for us, but that he's coming back again for us to rescue us and take us to be with him. And we will be with him in an eternal state. And that is something that should captivate our attention and our heart. And that should be what we're looking for is that this life and what I'm experiencing now was not what I was created for. What I was created for was to have a perfect relationship with God. That's what he wants and that's what I want. And that's what we're waiting for. That's what our hope is in. Our hope is certain because the object of our hope is God. Now this morning, we're going to be jumping back and forth between the Old Testament and the New Testament quite a bit. You may or may not want to try to keep up in your Bible. Their verses are going to be on the screen. The reason I wanted to do this is because a lot of times we separate the experience of the Old Testament people from the New Testament people, but the hope that we're talking about this morning was, the beginning, was from the beginning in Genesis, and it goes all the way through Revelation. All of God's word is consistent in God's plan, okay? And so I think it's important for us to see all of it together so that we can more fully appreciate the fact that this wasn't some new idea with Jesus. This was God's plan from the very beginning. And so with that, we know that what God said he would do in Isaiah chapter 9, 
and I'm going to try to get there real quickly. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. He says, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. That's what he said he would do in Isaiah. Then you fast forward to Luke chapter 2, the passage that we're very familiar with at Christmas time. And in Luke chapter 2, it says in verses 8 through 20, and we're not going to read all of that, but it's talking about, starting in verse 8, the shepherds and how the angels came and visited the shepherds and how amazed they were, and they said that the Messiah is born, and they went to find him. And then it said, they hurried off and found, in verse 16, both Mary and Joseph and the baby was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message that were told about the child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. So just as God said back in Isaiah, God fulfilled it in the New Testament, and it is complete, and it can be trusted That is the basis for our hope, that the promised Messiah came. Now, here's something to think about. If Jesus coming and providing a way of salvation isn't the end of the story, what is it? Well, when Jesus came, he provided a way of salvation, and he also provided for us the Holy Spirit of God that lives within us. That's pretty good, wouldn't you say? I hope, I hope you believe that. When Jesus came and provided a way for the hopeless to have hope and the helpless to have help and for all of us to have a relationship with God, that was unbelievable. But that is just a taste of what he has for us. That is what we get to enjoy today. We get to enjoy a relationship with God. We get to pray directly to him. We don't need a mediator anymore because we have Jesus Christ. And we can pray directly to him and his spirit lives within us and ministers to us all the time. That's pretty good. And yet it's going to get better. It's going to get even better. And so our expectation, our confidence should be in that. Let's go over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and in verse 18 through 23. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Again, a comparison of where we are right now and what God ultimately has for us. He says, yeah, it's hard right now, but... This isn't anything compared to the awesomeness of what is in front of us. For the creation eagerly awaits the anticipation for God's Son to be revealed. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So he's telling us right there, we have the Spirit now and it is very good and we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and that is unbelievable given the, the sinful nature of our heart. But it's even going to get better and it says even creation groans for that release, for that second coming, for that final state, for what it is going to be. And we as God's people shouldn't be satisfied just now for the taste of what we have coming, but we should be eagerly anticipating what he has for us. It should be consuming our hearts and our minds. The hope that we have, the hope that is coming, is so much greater than anything that we have experienced to this point. And I know many of you have been believers for a long time, and you've seen some unbelievably wonderful things in your life that God has done. And yet when you think about it, what he has for us is so much more exponentially awesome than we can even process. We should be eagerly looking forward to that. So biblical hope is that eager anticipation of the fulfillment of God's plan rooted in the evidence of Scripture and the arrival of Jesus as our Messiah and the ministry of the Holy Spirit living alongside of us as believers. All of that playing together, the truth of God's word, the relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ, the encouragement of the Spirit of God living within us brings alive that hope. That is the hope that what is in front of us, not the stuff, we know that God said, that Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if, you, if you've ever been caught up in thinking, I wonder what my place is going to look like. Is it going to be a beach place? Is it going to be a mountain place? What kind of place is he making? for? You missed the point. Because your place is with him. Doesn't matter where that is. But it's going to be awesome. So that is, that is our hope the second question we want to ask then is, if that is what good, true biblical hope is, then how do I get me some of that, right? Because whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, you probably want more, right? You want more. It's like Parker prayed, you know, Father, I believe, but help my unbelief. I want to enjoy more of you today than I did yesterday. So how is it that we fan the flames of hope that are, is within us, or if you're here this morning and you have no hope, how do you get the hope, the biblical hope that God intends for us to have? We're going to look primarily at two passages this morning in Romans, Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 15, as we consider the question of how do we increase the hope 
the reality of the hope of God that is within us. Understand that the book of Romans was written to a group of believers in Rome uh, that were in a church that was not established by Paul. Rather, these were believers that were from all over the region and because of business or whatever, they ended up in Rome and finding each other and, and being in community together. And so they had some issues going on. Some of these were Jewish people that had placed their faith in Jesus and they see themselves as God's people. The others were Gentiles. And so they, they were looking at each other a little bit sideways. As, How does all of this work? You know, we're Gentiles, they're Jews. They're looking at us like we're not God's people, but according to what we believe, we are God's people and all that. So Paul's writing Romans to sort of correct some of that. So that's kind of the backdrop for what he's saying. So let's look at chapter 5 and verses 1 through 5. And one more page. See, if you get there before the pastor, you win. That doesn't mean you can leave, though. <laughs> Chapter 5, verse 1 it says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the first step. How do I get hope? Number one, Jesus. It says, we have been declared righteous by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Declared righteous. Not your righteousness. You didn't apologize enough to where God said, oh, it's okay. But rather, you have by faith in Jesus Christ accepted his righteousness. And now in his righteousness, you have a relationship with God. Apart from Jesus, there is no hope. Full stop. Apart from Jesus, there is no hope. There can be optimism, there can be happy thoughts. There is no hope without Jesus. The first step to getting and enjoying and being overcome with true biblical hope is a relationship with Jesus Christ. He goes on to say in verse 2, we have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. So we have access to grace. We live in grace as children of God. Are we living as children of God that enjoy his grace? And then he goes on to say, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. As children of God, we have the righteousness of Jesus. We have the grace extended by God because of that righteousness. And because of that, we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We can begin at that point to start the eager anticipation of what God has for us. That's the beginning. Okay? So then we go from there on to verse 3. And in verse 3, he says, if I can find it, and not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Now, whoa, 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 wait, wait a second. I was on board with the grace and the rejoicing in the hope and all of that stuff. I was good with that, but now it's saying that we rejoice in our afflictions. 
because we know affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. Now, that's a series of experiences I wasn't expecting. I thought all of the work had been done by Jesus, and that now I just get to enjoy the benefits, right? I get the happy stuff. Jesus did the hard stuff. Well, part of that is true. Jesus did do the hard stuff, the stuff that we couldn't do. But there is an aspect of our lives that if we say we're a Christ follower, then we have to follow him, right? You remember the last few months we've been talking about the way up is down? That's what he's talking about here. You're going to hear an echo throughout Romans of that, is that we are to live our lives in such a way that we are going to be uncomfortable at times and we're going to experience affliction. And it's going to be hard, but we're going to push through through the power of the Spirit and it's going to produce endurance so that we don't cave and we don't fail. And that having gone through all of that, it's going to yield a character. That is us living out our faith. How do we enjoy and possess the hope of God? Number one, we have Jesus. And then number two, we live like Jesus. We follow his example. And I like what it says in verse five. It says, this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. This hope will not disappoint. That as we live our lives as Jesus lived our lives, and as affliction comes and we don't fold like a cheap folding chair, but that we press through in the power of the Spirit and the encouragement of the Scriptures, and we do the work and we endure, there is a character, and what that character is is the character of Jesus. There are some things that can only be learned through experience, right? You can read and learn about cold, and you could know technically what cold is, the absence of heat and all of that, but until you walk out into it, there is an understanding of it that you don't have. And we can study the scriptures and learn all about what Jesus did and why he did it and what it meant and the importance and the significance and all of that stuff. But until we walk in his shoes and we live as he has asked us to live and we experience the affliction, the hurt, the pain, the betrayal, all of the things that he went through for the cause of the gospel. Until we walk and experience that, that character isn't developed in us. And so if we want truly to be overflowing with hope, part of it has to be that we walk and we live like Jesus did. And that's what we see here. The object of our hope is God's plan. The basis of our hope is written in God's word for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures. Now, we're going to jump over from Romans chapter 5 to Romans chapter 15, and this is where we're going to pop back to the Old Testament a little bit. And again, don't feel 
pressure to try to go back and forth. The verses are going to be up here for us. So in, in chapter 15, the basis of our hope is found in verses 1 through 6. In verses one, verse 1, it says, Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. So the question you have to ask right away is, who are the strong? It says we are strong. Well, we just learned about that in chapter 5. The strong are the ones who go through affliction, they endure it, they develop character and a strong hope. Those are the strong people. That's who he's talking about here. And those people have an obligation to help the weak. And then it says, for even Christ did not please himself. Again, you hear the echoes of Philippians there, right? It says, Jesus did not please himself. On the contrary, it is written, the insults of those who will insult you have fallen on me. And that is a quote. In some of your Bibles, it may be uh, in bold. And as you go back, you see that that is from Psalm 69. And real quickly, in Psalm 69, it, it has what I think is kind of a humorous little passage, uh, starting in verse 9. It says, Because zeal for your house has consumed me, and the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me, I mourned and fasted, but it brought me insults. I wore sackcloth as my clothing, and I was a joke to them. Those who sit at the gate talk about me, and drunkards make up songs about me. Have you ever had somebody mock you so much that they made a song up about you? But as for me, Lord, my prayer uh, to you is for a time of favor. You know, as, as we talk about the insults here in chapter 15, we're not the first ones to endure insults. On the contrary, if we live our lives and we never feel the insults or the scorn of the gospel, then we have to wonder, you know, are we really living the lives that God has encouraged us or has uh, commanded us to live? Um, down in verses 7 through 12, we'll just real quickly go through this. Glorifying God together. This is where he's talking about them accepting each other, the Jews and the Gentiles and all of that. And he's, he's saying to them that they need to accept one another just as Christ uh, accepted you to the glory of God. Now, if you flip over to uh, verse uh, 9, you'll see the bold again there. He says, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and I will sing praise to your name. That is 2 Samuel 22. In verse 10, he says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. Again, talking to the Gentiles, that is Deuteronomy 32. Down in verse 11, it says, And again, rejoice, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples praise him. That's Psalm 117. And then in, in verse 12, The root of Jesse will appear, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. The Gentiles will hope in him. That's Isaiah 11. Again, what was in the Old Testament is brought forward in the New Testament. This is not a new idea. We look at the Old Testament, we see God's people, the nation of Israel. We think those are God's people. And in reality, God had made a provision for everyone. And that, that's good news for us. We are to live out, as Jesus did, affliction 
endurance, character, and hope. That is how we can fan the flames of hope in our life. It's part of enjoying the rock of solid hope. It's by living out and not just by learning facts. And then in verse 13 of Romans 15, it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's an aspect of hope that the Holy Spirit of God fans and brings to life within you as you in obedience live your life in a sacrificial way in obedience to Jesus' example. As we will do that, the Spirit of God is the one that fans it. You don't have to say, I just need to trust more. I just need to hope more. That is a ministry of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. That is a gift of God as you live out as a child of God. Our minds have learned the scriptures. Our lives have to be lived. Experiences of affliction, producing endurance, and the Spirit of God confirms and empowers the hope we have in God. So we know what hope is. How do we get there? We get there by, number one, being in Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no hope. But then beyond that, we take up the scriptures and we obey the scriptures and we see the example of Christ and we live our lives as sacrifices to God. Because we know that whatever temporary discomfort we have in this life doesn't begin to compare to the glory of what he has for us. The cost of our lives here and what we could possibly attain doesn't begin to compare to what it is that God has for us. It is such a minute price for us to sacrifice anything in this life compared to the glory of what he has for us. Our hope should be focused on that. The whole picture, for sure the appreciation and the worship of the coming of Jesus to be our Messiah and the gift of the Holy Spirit that lives within us today. But it's not over yet. The waiting is not over yet. The anticipation is not done. We have the anticipation of so much more. And let us not get wrapped up in what's going on in this world and let our focus be brought down. Because there is coming a time when you're going to wake up and there will be no more fear. There will be no more anxiety. There will be no more anger. There will be no more insecurity. There will be no more stress. You remember the stress that you brought into this room? It's just going to go away. There's going to be perfect harmony between us and God. We are going to be in a physical location with God. We are going to be able to have a conversation with him the way that we have here this morning. And we are going to have a relationship with each other like we have never had before. That is what God has for us. That is what is in front of us. We know that because God's word tells us that from beginning to end. And we know that because the spirit of God within us confirms that. So the way that we fan that flame of that hope is we build some practices into our lives. And so the question I have 
this morning, I guess, rather than question, it's an invitation to you. What is your hope plan this morning? How are you going to make a priority to learn God's word? Because much of what we talked about this morning was the spirit of God confirming the truth of God's word that was already written. And we need to know these things. What is your plan to know God's word? Secondly, how are you making the daily choices to live your life as he lived his? So, well, I'm not God. He's not asking you to be. He's asking you to be you and to be obedient in your walk. Intentionality for your day. God, what is it that you want from me today? Help me to see the people that you want me to see. Help me to be bold and not afraid to speak. Even if it means that people are going to make up songs about me because I'm weird. Okay? And then the last one is how do you celebrate God's gift of joy and peace as you overflow with hope in God's plan. I hope that worship and celebration on a personal level is a part of your life and day. That you just praise him for everything that he has done and for everything that he is and that everything that he has done for you. And that is a part of your life. If you will do these things, you will see over time. Again, this is a process that that hope will become more real and more solid. And all of a sudden, the issues of life won't push you around as much as they do today. And you will be rock solid in your hope and in your vision for God. And if this life is hard, it's going to be hard, but this isn't where I'm going to be forever. So I would just encourage you in those ways. As, as, as we end today, I would really like for you to think about those things. Where am I at in my life as far as my intentionality in learning God's word? Where am I at in my life as it relates to my daily intentionality of living as Jesus lived? And where am I at in my life as it relates to worshiping him and celebrating him and praising him? You know, this is one of those times when the, the preacher is preaching to himself and you all get to listen because it's easy, isn't it, to get drugged down by the issues of life. And yet it's hard to stay there when you're worshiping and praising God. He's worth it, and he can be trusted, and he is the object of our hope, and what, what better place for us to be? Let, let's pray together. Lord, we do have a hope that is sure. It is sure because it is in you. You have proven yourself to be trustworthy. You have proven yourself to be God. You can do whatever you want. You have told us that you have a place for us. You have told us what you uh, intend for us. We look forward to that, Lord, and yet we do so imperfectly this morning because we are still in this sin-cursed world. 
But I pray that your word would ring true in our hearts this morning, that we would be encouraged to spend more time in your word, that we would be encouraged to be more intentional in our walk, and that we would find time to celebrate you. And Lord, may the the hope that is within us grow stronger and stronger every day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at com, or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Thank you.